welcome back. Apologies for being away for a bit, but we have been on the road. Um, we did intend to podcast the Enduro World Series podcast from the road, but the road got the better of us, and I think there's just generally too much road, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, even though we're in the same country for a month, there was uh, there was a lot happening. Obviously, some new formats, some big events, and uh, yeah, we're both there. Uh, both flagging a little bit, so... Yeah, we were fairly busy, but we've had a week away from each other now. Um, don't know about you, Rory, I struggle with it personally. But we're <laughs> we're back together in the same room, we've had some coffee, and so nearly a full month's worth of travel in the books, including driving to and from Italy. Lots to discuss, Rory. 48 hours or so since we last spoke, I think. It's been a week since we've been in the same room together. Are you bearing up all right? Are you okay? I'd be lying if I said uh, I didn't miss you, mate. But... Uh, <laughs> More being able to sit down at the end of the day in the sun and, and have a beer and yeah you know set the world to rights but um yeah I mean it's been a it's been a big month for us obviously a pretty full month for the racers as well um we've got a kind of six week break ahead of us now so um yeah lots to review lots to look back on but uh, it's a monster mind actually isn't it yeah. it's not you know like with it's obviously a bit um, deceiving because. We've been to two places, but we've had four rounds worth of race, and we've had the dawn of the pro stage. The pro stage is now with us. We've had stories left, right, and centre. Let's start as is traditional at the very start. The Met EWS Val de Fassa Trentino. Um, you weren't there in twenty eighteen. We've had a bit of crack previously about me telling you how good it was. Did it live up to the Val de Fassa? All that um, you'd heard about it. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty blown away. Uh, being there in person, uh, truthfully, I think, uh, yeah, the scenery, the trails, uh, the local hospitality even, I mean, absolutely brilliant. Um, shout out to, to Big Willie, the the race director, um, amazing guy. And, uh, you know, the, the stage is just that beautiful alpine dirt that yeah. you you just associate with that kind of region and um you know the the tutti frutti stage the big single track down the ridge you know has to be one of the most stunning trails i've ever ridden and um yeah it, it met expectations and some i think actually the right at the start of that um round um we were we were obviously we drove there over a couple of days we stayed in where was it falmouth Yep. Um, and the, the ceiling of your hotel room promptly burst and there was yeah. a torrent of water coming in around it after yeah, a 10-hour drive or however long I mean, it was. it was pretty humid, so I wasn't too bothered. I should have, should have probably <laughs> stood under it to cool down. But um, It was proper UK hotel, wasn't it? Let's just, mm. let's just put the heating on full chat, even though it's quite warm. Anyway, um, so yeah, the roof gave in with yeah, a bit of a disrupted drive getting there. But like, there was all the build-up of whenever you arrive at the venue, of course, it's flat out right from the start, meeting everybody and getting everything set in place. And it was the morning that we actually filmed course preview before I got to throw a leg over a bike. And we'll talk about those bikes in a sec, in well, a couple of minutes' time anyway. But like, we went up and you think you'd already ridden Titans. Mm. And it was honestly one of the best trails I think I've ridden. Just everything that I look for in a trail like fast but not like hypersonic like big lovely big loose berms that you can see the exits off big compression stuff you can pull up off like just fun from top to bottom yeah i think we we're pretty pretty thankful that we got on that before the racers as well because it was looking uh it was looking pretty chopped out by the end of that week but yeah i mean as a trail just 
it had everything, didn't it? And that like wide enough that you could be creative, but narrow enough so you kind of knew exactly where to go. Um, the dirt was. I think the day we rode it, the dirt couldn't have been any more perfect. Just a slightly loose layer on top, but tacky underneath. And uh, yeah, it was kind of. Uh, Quite difficult to remind yourself riding down it that you were actually there doing a job. Yeah. It was just it was easy to get lost in that. Though there's places that we go to that like obviously we're very, very lucky to do what we do and we shouldn't take that for granted for a second. But there are places that you go to where especially at my skill level, you go, this is pretty full on, need to be like on my A game here and wits about me and then you're still trying to think about saying interesting things into a microphone and stuff as well. But like I think you can see from ourselves and Rich Payne's faces like during that preview video that mm. that's about as fun as riding it bikes. Was, it was like that perfect balance of technicality gradient, but not so overwhelming that you can enjoy it. Yeah. As in, like you could process everything quite far in advance, but it was still challenging enough and fast enough, and just to it was like it was just the perfect balance of a challenge and enjoyment at the same time. And I mean, we were just. Like kids in the candy store when we really as a racer as well for you I mean you love I'd say one of your big strengths as a rider is that you love stuff like that that presents options to you mm-hmm. like as a racer there's a lot to process there isn't it there? there's all like the stages in Val de Fassa in a in Fassa bike park they're deceptively wide there's a main line mm-hmm. but there's also the gradient on the banks is pretty mellow as well isn't it and we saw a lot in the highlights video people taking big liberties with the banks and like really like opening things up um really interesting place to ride uh we saw let's get into the racing element of it then isabel corderia she arrived in there um terrible set of circumstances she recently lost her father and i don't want to say all eyes were on Isabel, but at the same time, I think everyone was just impressed that she was there mm-hmm. to begin with. But winning that first round of the season, I think, um, having covered her career for like the last four years or so, one of the biggest rides of her career, definitely. Yeah, um, emotionally, a huge hurdle to overcome. I think. Yeah, um, having seen her the the kind of couple of days previous to that, you know, you could tell. Um, you could tell there was a kind of a weight on our, our shoulders, and yet, like you say, I think for her just being there was was a a huge achievement. That, but to come away from that, you know, and win, I think it really cemented her place as a you know as a true champion and mm-hmm. and and one that can battle and deal with that sort of adversity, not just what you're faced with on the track, but what you're faced with in life outside of it. Um, I mean, pretty. Uh, yeah, yeah, pretty amazing to see her at the finish line, how kind of emotionally drained she was, but you can't a champion's you, ride. Yeah. A champion's ride and, and hats off to her. I mean, what an what an achievement given the what she'd been through in the lead up. She to won that. the first stage, um and I think you could see certainly I could see from speaking to her at the bottom that you know it was it was clicking. It was it was obviously very, very difficult. She didn't she didn't really want to stop moving to talk to anybody. I noticed that she wanted to just keep riding. And I think that that was very much sort of in her mind, but she won the first stage. She was third in the second, second on the third. And then she won the queen stage. Um, queen stage in, uh, in Val de Fassa, a huge plunge down from the very, very top. Um, Tutti Frutti, not an easy stage by any stretch of the imagination to race or compete on. Never mind after a full day. She won that final stage to take the win. 
And I think, yeah, Champions Ride, as you say. We need to talk about um, Morgan Shaw, Melanie Pujan. That first round, actually, much as, not to blow our own trumpets, much as we'd predicted those mm-hmm. were going to be the top three. Um, Isabel won by nearly 14 seconds from Morgan, and she was just... Uh, Pujan was just uh, a handful of tenths down the road and third behind her. Um, no surprises there at the time. Shar and Pujan in close contention. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the three musketeers as they've been dubbed. Um, you love that. Yeah, I'll take credit for that. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, Rick. If you need a wordsmith, let yeah, me I'm know. Yeah, no, I'm um, good at the words, man. Pujan, <laughs> Pujan won, she won the second stage of the day and she was second on the Queen stage. And Pujan... Um, we both commented actually in watching the highlights film together on that very steep, fast alpine tech, just like technically a joy to watch. You know, mm. ankles basically like it was almost like her, her ankles were hinged at her heel, they mm. were that far down and right over the front of the bike. And just yeah, technique wise, a joy to watch and visibly looked. I mean, the result didn't reflect it in that race, but visibly looked kind of more aggressive than a lot of the other women, I thought. Um, like you say, ankles down, elbows up, just the bike moving a lot underneath her, but not in a not in a sketchy sense. Like she looked very, very in control and very, very comfortable. So, um, yeah, I think we were both both impressed having having seen that. Yeah, then we go to the the pro men's race, and really, I guess now that we're sort of a bit farther removed from the events having taken place what was to be a familiar refrain for the rest of the trip was Richie Rouge, Jack Moyer, welded together basically mm. at the front of that race, just four tenths in it. Mm. It was big, uh, there was a big sense of expectation for this race, I felt. You know, we had Richie Rude coming back. We didn't see him last year. We had Sam Hill coming back. We didn't see him, him either. Um, you know, Jesse was the kind of the informed rider at the end of last year. And I, I guess... None of us really knew how it was going to pan out. We we knew Jack was fast last year, but you know Richie obviously has spent the time away from racing mm. very usefully and came out the blocks swinging, took the first stage uh, of the day, and and didn't really surrender it as as much as uh, as much as Jack Moore tried to, to to force him to. It came out those blocks wearing a basketball vest as well. What do you make of that? What do you make of the the Yeti factory basketball vest? I was quite into it. Yeah, it's it's different, isn't it? I mean, I think um, it's so for anybody listening. It's a it's it's basically like an un, a long sleeve almost undershirt with a basketball vest with a vest over the top of it, which you can which you can change. It's actually, um, <laughs> you've seen quite a lot of brands do that now with with the kind of the under undershirt and the vest over the top. I think. Uh, James Stewart's brand is at 7MX, brought yeah. it out quite a few years ago and, and quite a lot of, we're seeing some very fitted race jerseys and it kind of allows the sleeves to be fitted but the, the kind of the gilet piece in the middle to be quite, a little bit loose but... Um, Shades of um, Fabian Burrell in Canberra, remember the World Champs whenever he produced these? I do these remember that. I incredibly tight fitting sleeves. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, the, the Yeti Fox factory basketball jersey, I think I'm into it. I think it's really interesting. I think it's, it definitely falls under the category for race only, doesn't yeah. it? I don't. I think if yeah. you rocked up to the golfy in a basketball vest, you might even travelling at the speed you do get a bit of stick. But <laughs> works for Richie. It obviously worked for him at that race. Um, I just rock up to the golfy wearing one of those with no sleeves, <laughs> singlets, singlets all day long. It's called a vest. It's not called a singlet. Um, Richie, I think my take on it 
was that it was almost ominous. Like we've seen Richie get on a roll before and just start decimating people. And I kind of thought that although Jack was, you know, under half a second in contention after what was that 30 odd K of racing, you kind of worried that, oh, this could be a steamroller. And um, you, did you helpfully point out to Jack where he might have lost that time as well at one stage that I hear? Did you draw a squiggle on a stage corner or oh, something? Yeah, poor Jack is. <laughs> I think he loved it. It wasn't. It I wasn't, think it he wasn't, loved it. It wasn't as. Uh, it wasn't as. Uh, it wasn't as uh, offensive as it might have sounded there. There was a, So I'm sure anybody that's that's you know followed the race and all of heard of the climb, um, in 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 the stage that divided. A lot of people, um, and race one for the pro for the pro only race, we kept the climb in, and truthfully, it was pretty savage. But you know, they are professionals; they train. Yeah, you know, it's Fitness is a, a big aspect of it, and uh, I was stood on the climb, just kind of reviewing it because I thought, well, the amount of grief I got for leaving it in, I, I need to make sure that it is actually rideable. And Jack Moore came up, and was a kind of ninety degree corner at the top of it, just before the last little pitch, and off to the riders left. There was a bit of a drop when it was a kind of a log propping propping the trail up, and Jack Moyer told me afterwards that at that point you couldn't see, <laughs> so um, he kind of got a bit of a, a a wobble, and his front wheel pretty much went onto the very edge of the log, uh. like steered onto it, and had he had his front wheel went off, he probably would have. I mean, I doubt he was going fast enough to kind of physically fall off, but he would have had to stop and yeah. probably start running, but he had to kind of stop and almost trials hop it back and uh, I sent him a, a, basically a green squiggle of where his front wheel had been <laughs> saying uh, line of your front wheel <laughs> and then uh, and then he messaged back saying uh, yeah that was the that was the half a second wasn't it and he, he, he was that, he was right he mentioned it a couple of times didn't he he mentioned it a couple of times that although it was great to get second and it's great to be that close to Richie as a racer all you can think about is the little things that could be half a second. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. being in the wrong gear for, you know, fractions of a second again, or it's that little bobble that you helpfully pointed out to him. Yeah. Or it's a myriad of things, and over that length of racing, um, just it spelled disaster for him. But he'd also been ill, Jack, mm. hadn't he? Yeah, that um, was in the tool. Oh, that was in the tool, so mm. we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, Jesse Melamed and third. Um, yeah, I think when you talk about, like, the differences, and I mean, I was... I was trackside for that. That was the penultimate stage, and, and witnessed that little bubble that Jack had, and he, he was exactly right. And he said that was the win, and he, he's completely correct. I think the the staggering thing for me, watching that race, not only was like how close it came down to at the end. What was it? Point four eight. Mm. But how many variables there are on all those stages? Like some of them are technical, some of them are fast, some of them had climbs. Yeah. The amount of variability in the terrain, the the gradient of the trail, the technicality of the trail, what's required from the rider, but then not only that, but you take Jack and Richie and the riders themselves, so they, they're not it's not like you've got two steamrollers pitted against each other. You've got Richie Rude who's I mean, you know, a beast. And a steamroller. He, he is a steamroller and he's he's a big lad, he's he's strong and he muscles his bike around the trail. Jack, quite tall, quite skinny, very delicate, like feet up, very good at carrying momentum. And you've kind of got these quite opposite riding styles. But yet, when it comes to the time on the clock at the end of a stage, 
I mean, we saw so many stages this year being separated by those two being separated by less than a second, and it's just it's what, th- it's it's staggering to staggering that trail wise that they can be that close, but also like that two completely different styles can also effectively. You know what I mean? Be good at this, exactly the same thing. Watched, it's brilliant. One of the first one that we did for the first time on this trip, obviously, was the pro stage videos where we had we did our best to cover as much of a stage as we could with a variety of cameras. And um, it's staggering when you see. It's not like watching um, MotoGP or F1 when you see, you know, cars on the same line doing roughly the same speed and it coming down to half a second at the end of it. Mm-hmm. They're very, very different on the bike, and they're off, often on very, very different lines in very different places of the stages. And as you say, it still boils down yeah. to that kind of time frame. Um, yeah, it was it was really interesting seeing seeing that. I think we've obviously we're fortunate enough at times to be trackside and witness that, or when we get footage back from the cameraman afterwards, and we can look at that. And if you haven't seen it, like the the, the split screen side by side comparison on the. On our on our YouTube and on our Instagram is is just so good to watch, and it's how they attack in different places. Like Richie is so committed into things, but you see him sit down a lot. You see him like rest a lot, and mm. and kind of he'll go, you know, hundred percent in one section, then just completely like sit down. And I mean, he's got the weight to carry that momentum, but he he tends to break it up a lot more. Whereas Jack just seems to be not as aggressive into things, but he just never really. He never really switches off. He's just always just going that same kind of speed. I feel Richie's more fast, slow, fast, slow. Jack's kind of one speed the whole way. Yeah. I think probably, you know, you can almost see that Fabian Burrell influence kind of coming across there. Funny you should mention Fabian Burrell, actually. I uh, I had dinner with him. Yeah, I know you're pointing at me. Yeah, no, I had dinner with Fab. Um, never told me that. Yeah, no, I didn't didn't mention it much on the trip. But um, one of the things I asked him that we talked about... um, was how much work he'd been doing with Jack because I think Jack looked a lot cleaner and a lot tidier and dare I say a lot more Burrell esque than mm. last year he was all didn't have uh, a singlet on. But. Uh, didn't have a singlet on. All action, no traction, like just he was, you know, weight over the back wheels, swinging off the back of the thing. And this year it looked like the bike was in a straight line a lot more. He looked a lot more precise with what he was doing. Um bit efficient. more Yeah, bit more efficient. Um and yeah, Fabian said that's one of the things that they, they definitely worked on. Um, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but also interesting that Jack didn't go to the Jay de Race mm-hmm. World Cup downhill, which he mm-hmm. probably would have done in previous years. I think there's a lot more of a yeah a focus on what he's doing. Yeah, I, I spoke to him after the race, and I mean, not to get ahead of ourselves again, but you know, him and Rich here, they're right in this title fight, and he said he was down to race Marabor in a few weeks, but said uh said he was unsure of what he was going to do obviously you know his background's in downhill he's been successful in downhill but um he's really found his niche i feel i think he's he like you say he looked last year he looked brilliant this year he looks like a changed rider he looks super efficient he looks like a seasoned rider well look at that i mean you only have to look at the results sheet from that first round jesse melamed was 14.76 seconds back on those two at the front of the race mm. Um, behind him, Matt Walker fourth, Zach Johansson in fifth. Somebody I'm sure we're going to go on to talk to about. One person who impressed me, um, well, to be honest, that top ten, top fifteen, in the pro men's field is full of impressive rides. But Vidal, Antoine Vidal in ninth, mm-hmm. someone that we sort of thought um, 
we were going to keep an eye on this season. Um, Vidal, um, he did, he confounded our expectations really, and I sort of predicted, I think you did as well, that it could be checkers or wreckers, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He could just go into that class, go ballistic, up a year early. Yeah. And he he seemed to, over the course of the, the first four rounds, just turn in just really polished, well-rounded yeah. performances. Yeah, I think we thought he was uh, the speed was maybe going to be a little bit more erratic as in he was going to be winning stages, you know, top three stages, maybe a podium this year and then a few kind of throwaway results. But he's been absolutely solid. And uh, I don't know if you saw, he was uh, second French Denhill Championships yeah, at the weekend that. there, ahead of, uh, behind Cool Angers and ahead of Bruni. Um, so a master, you know, jack of all trades, and great, great to see, great to see a young rider who still is eligible for under twenty one. I might add, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of have that level of maturity and take the step up, and you know, we've really not seen a rider take that step in under twenty ones and be that fast since Paul Mays, mm. who didn't race under twenty ones. He was just straight in with the big, big boys. But Martin Mays also didn't contest these cup first couple of rounds because he was having a baby. Uh, well, his wife was having a baby. He wasn't having a baby. That's terrifying. Um. Congratulations to him. Um, so that is that was one name that was off the sort of um, off the radar for that. But one name that certainly was under quite a bright light was Sam Hill, uh, returning champ. Really, he won the last uh, when we had an overall twenty twenty. Of course, we just had a teams overall. Um, I just read you Sam's stage results from that first round. Stage one, second. Stage two, 20th. Stage three with the climbing at 58th. Stage four, the Queen stage, 15th. Now, I've just this, this morning actually recorded a little piece for the GMBM Dirt Shed Show, um, basically talking about I don't think there's any need to panic about Sam's performance. I think, I mean, you look back 2019, his last title year, uh, he started that with, I think it was a 12th and an 8th place. At the first two rounds, everybody waved their hands in the air and went, "It's over, it's over!" Like, oh, mm. Sam Hill, it's like he, he needs to retire and stuff. And he came back and won the title that year. I think the title might be a big ask for him this season, but certainly further down than we would have expected to see the champ. You know, we forget that. You know, we forget that. You know, riders like Sam. We associate him so much with riding bikes that we maybe forget that you know he's got three little boys back home and. The time off for him was probably great, and I, I heard he was he was taking his son motocrossing a lot and probably just enjoying being a dad. And, and he's been travelling since uh, he was yeah. 16, 17, so, hasn't he? You forget that with those riders down the southern hemisphere. Yeah. It's a massive commitment. But mm. I also kind of think that you know it's it's it can go one of two ways. I and mean, we just said that the time off obviously really suited Richie, and he refocused and he came back stronger. But racing's racing and if you miss that sort of speed of competition it can be a difficult thing to get back up to speed even if you are a Sam Hill yeah I mean I, I think you said it a few weeks ago if there's one person you never count out it's Sam Hill and I think uh, knowing the kind of mindset he has he'll be he'll be wanting to go home do some work come back and prove a lot of people wrong so I don't think there's anything to worry about the the Technical kind of ability that man kind of mm-hmm. produces on a bike, I'd still believe is second to none. I think he's had a lot of time off. I think he's been home. I don't, I don't think his focus has been training and, and and prepping for racing. I think it's probably been you know on his family and being a dad. And I've absolutely you know no doubt that he's going to come back and be hungry for it. And we'll see yeah. him get towards the pointy end at the end of this year. Right. Well, let's move on then um, to the second round. 
at the Met EWS Valley Fasa Trentino. Now, this was this will go down as a little footnote in the history of the EWS, and it was our first pro stage, mm. which was a single stage of racing the day before the full course. Um, what was your take on that from a race sports coordinator, head honcho sort of? Yeah, I mean, the, the pro stages are. I think it's a good addition. I mean, the. I guess with enduro racing, we associate it with being kind of big stages out in the mountains, quite remote. And we definitely want to maintain that aspect of it because that's kind of, I guess, what has made a lot of people fall in love with the sport. But at the same time, to grow the sport, to make it more accessible to, for spectators, um, you know, with a view to, to broadcasting the sport. And we need to have stages that are more accessible, shorter, sharper, um, and that produce closer racing. So, um, we we had our first pro stage in Val de Fassa. Uh, I believe it was uh, Richie Rood that um, that won it. I think the the women's race was maybe a little bit affected by the weather, but um, the women's race from the pro women's race from that pro stage was. Uh, Personally speaking, somewhat of a nightmare for me and my production team because <laughs> uh, for anybody who hasn't seen the highlights, it basically it came down, a massive storm rolled in, we thought we were going to get away with it and it kind of hit the pro women's field right in the middle. So I think it was actually Camille Rast who won that, which obviously froze camera positions and people being in place and time sort of all over the shop, but thrilling racing nonetheless. Um I thought it was really good. I think it's um I think it acts as a bit of an appetizer for mm. the following day's action. Um yeah. I think we've we've had um we've had events in EWS before. Uh Tazzy, wasn't there? Um, yeah we had one in Tazzy, but Derby there was we, one. we've had um we've had other ones as well. We've had some that have been prologues that have been more like an exhibition where they've not been timed and you'll ride down through a castle and it won't really mean anything and as a racer, I always thought they were a bit pointless. Like, if, you, if you're going to get us in bikes and kit, we're racing or we're not, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the street race we did in Colombia. That you uh, did very well. 20... Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks, mate. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me. Um, I, thought that was, I thought that was incredible. I mean, you know, bringing, bringing a, a kind of short, sharp stage, you know, close race and high intensity to the people rather than just letting the people kind of like yeah. make their way into the mountains and, and that's kind of the whole reason behind it is and it's to bring the race in closer to the event hub put on a, a show for spectators give the racers some incentive by giving them points for the stage and ultimately exceed the race for the for the, the kind of for the following day for for anybody that has a standout result so um yeah the the one in Val de Fassa was a bit nerve-wracking obviously the first one and then we were seemed to be in like the eye of a storm all it afternoon, was, they were yeah. worried about the lift shut in. There was, you know, cracks of thunder pretty much every direction. Where I was at the top, there was rain. There was, uh, yeah, certainly the the weather gods didn't um, didn't look on us fondly for that one. But uh, yeah, it was it was a it was a quality stage. I mean, you know, Richie, Richie, Jack, and Jesse, the the three guys that we've seen at the front were were right up there and and put on some good racing and, yeah. Yeah, the results from that one, uh, pro women's Melanie Pujan taking the win, her second EWS win. Um, really polished performance from Pujan. Uh, one of those riders affected by the weather in the pro stage, but she kept it together. Um, and you always kind of thought that over 30k or so of racing the next day that she'd find any time she'd lost on mm-hmm. that. Morgan Shar again, up in second, uh, 35 and a half seconds back on Pujan, which probably gives you an idea of how fast Melanie was going. Mm-hmm. And Hattie Harndon 
somebody that we'd uh, not again not to blow our own trumpets, but we had predicted would be up in amongst it at different stages this season yeah. for Trek Factory Racing up in third. Um, Isabeau fourth complaining about um I think the, the emotions and the effort of round one has sort of cut up with her only a couple of days in between them. Yeah, she suffered a little mechanical. I was at the, I was on a stage and she had a, a bit of a mechanical as well in one of them. So I think I think she'd she'd poured so much into race one that emotionally I think she was pretty emotionally and physically probably pretty drained and, and maybe just wasn't wasn't as sharp and as focused as she was in, in race one at that one. But uh yeah, right there, regardless. Fair play, Camila Rast, 12th as well. So mm. she she stuck in there and mm. kept swinging at it. Um, into the the pro men's then, and it was a very familiar tale, but with a slightly different outcome this time. Jack Moyer taking his debut EWS win. I get the feeling that we'll be referencing that debut EWS win for a few years to come. He just looked, he was, he just looked superb all week, didn't he? Yeah, I mean... Uh... He lost it. He lost a, a a little chunk of time to Richie on the pro stage on the on the Friday evening, and I think after that we were maybe questioning was there enough time for Richie to to hold on and and to maintain that time gap. But I was on I was on trackside in stage three, which was the penultimate stage, and uh, I believe it's called Animal House, the stage. Yeah, and uh, I was trackside on that, and visually I could see how much faster Jack was going through this one section than anybody else and it was it was a long section like I could see the riders for a good 10-12 seconds and I remember messaging the 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 production crew saying Jack Moore flying visibly faster and he won the stage by was a 7 over 7 seconds yeah. and at that point the the dynamic of those two changed at that point it went from Jack chasing Richie to Jack suddenly being the lead and Richie having to chase Jack to the last stage and you know ultimately Jack won. Richie hit the ground. Yeah, you know, maybe trying, maybe knowing that he had to had you know Jack won that. I believe Jack won that stage in the first race. He won the. Oh, you're asking questions. I think he did. What what stage are you on about the third one? Tutti Fruity race one. I believe Jack won it. Stage four. Bear with me, please, Colin. You keep talking, and I'll find out. And uh, yeah, whether yeah, he, he did, did, yeah, yeah. Cheers. Um, it's all right. Good to yeah. check these things. Um, but yeah, I feel the dynamic changed. Richie was going to a, a stage that Jack had won the race before and in race one had got really close to him. And did we see Richie try that little bit, push that little bit too mm-hmm. hard? And I mean, Jack convincing him on the stage uh, takes the win and it was almost like the, you know, just... I think we could we could look back at that victory as really important for this season because I think if Richie had gone two wins in a row at that race that could have just knocked things for Jack a little bit um, that is Rory's chair creaking you can hear it's an old church pew it's obviously not used to people don't need to, people know, the being... people don't need to know the history of your chair right? I didn't steal it I bought it um, yeah I think if we got out of that venue with two wins to the good for Richie I think it could have been a different complexion on things Jack mm. actually Jesse Melamed was fourth he crashed, pushing really, really hard. There's some really good onboard stuff off, off Jesse on his YouTube channel from that race. Mm-hmm. Um, pushing really, really hard. Had he didn't actually think don't actually think he lost that much time in that little crash up top, Melamed. But it meant that Moyer caught him. Mm-hmm. And when they arrived in the town of Canadzay, like Jack was really, really close behind him, and you just you saw the speed 
I mean, Jack nearly wrote himself off on that spectator railing, getting around it. He was pushing mm. that hard. Yeah, I think I don't know. If, I don't know if that was Jesse's only issue, but um, to to deviate away from from Jack's victory for a second, I felt Jesse. We we kind of began to see the old Jesse Melmed a little bit. Um, at the first, you know, four rounds, like right up there on some stages, and just just almost pushing too hard and too many mistakes and others like we saw him hit the ground I'd say multiple times at both races mm. the speed's there like there's no doubt um, but last year you know he, he just seemed to keep it upright and know when to back off and know, knew when to push and you know with Jack that little bit faster this year and with Richie coming back I kind of feel we're seeing him thinking he's got to go a lot faster and try a lot harder than he does and um, be interesting to see how he comes back after the mid-season break. Difficult one to compute as well, I guess, because he's, well, at this race he was fourth, but generally speaking, over the course of the four rounds, he was really the third place rider, but he's trying to go faster than two people he didn't race against last season very much. Jack Moyer was over, of course, and... Learning the ropes, really, you'd have Yeah, to but now Jack had sort of, and I say he'd had that time with Fabian, who I had dinner with, and, like, it's just kind of, Working that out, I guess. We need to talk about third place in this race. Charlie Murray for Specialised Racing. Great friend of the podcast as yep. well. Yep, yep. I mean, we can definitely... You know, we hyped him up before the season and uh, we had him on the pod and, uh, yeah, he delivered. So, you're welcome, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, great result for him. I, I, he, I believe he won stage... He won stage three, which was Animal House, in race one and was right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, going into the last stage I mean there's no doubt in Charlie for anybody that, that follows Charlie on Instagram the man is an animal I mean he's just done some ridiculous mountain expedition but through Mont Blanc that he's done some mountain race in what looks like a t-shirt and shorts and like a tourist rucksack and he finished sick fat or something yeah. amongst all these guys that look like they're just about to head off across the Sahara for a stroll Do you yeah, know what I mean? like yeah, he's, yeah. Yeah, I think um, he'll be, he was somebody who definitely wasn't complaining about the climb being in the stage. And he actually won that stage and, and got a flat in race one going into the final stage. So I kind of knew that... And I, he was still... T- he was 10th in race one? I think he was 10th, but... I kind of knew in the lead he into was, race two that he, he was... He was 10th a, at race one, yeah. I've got all the knowledge You've today. You've got all the numbers, haven't you? And, yeah. You can correct me when I'm wrong, but I'm no, pretty right. No, I'll so wait for that. Don't worry. Uh... But yeah, in, in the lead into race two, I kind of knew he was going to be a threat just with the speed he'd shown on the last two stages, which I think were the longest two and also the most physical. Mm-hmm. And he just came alive in the last half of the race. And, you know, to to be up there in third and, and really what is his first year as a full professional. Yeah, with the backing, with the training, with, with the yeah. bikes, with the equipment. Um, I don't think we, I mean, you know, being honest... I definitely knew he had the potential to be up there this year. If someone had asked me, did I think he was going to win a stage in the first race and podium at the second, I would have said no. Mm. Like the the level of progression that he's shown in less than a year is pretty staggering. It's pretty staggering. And he actually had a mechanical at the bottom of the first race of the first stage of the day. Um, like literally three or four bike lengths away from the line. Um, it looked like he had a Bluetooth uh, rear mech on and it looked like he just jumped a load of gears all of a sudden. I don't know whether he'd asked it mm. to change gear more often than it felt it could or whatever, but 
Um, Somebody hacked it. Basically, yeah, basically disintegrated the back of the bike and ran it over the line, flipped her over, like just set about it with complete calmness yeah. and precision, like a seasoned pro, yeah. like chain off. The chain was, I mean, the chain was wrapped around the wheel of the Met, like I said, it was like a boa constrictor made of metal, wasn't it? And, <laughs> But he um, didn't. The, the, but there was no drama. I no. mean, that, but we, we spoke about that, didn't we? Like we we spoke about in that situation. Like the worst thing you can do is panic. You have to just be like, right. And and in his head at the time when he's undoing that chain and taking the wheel out and, and doing all he needs to do, he's thinking, right, it's going to be X amount of minutes back to the pits. X amount of minutes to get it fixed. The lift takes X amount of minutes. The climb's going to be this. I'm going to have to go hard on the climb. I'm, gonna, mm-hmm. you know, and he just, I mean. Given his level of fitness, I think anybody else may have struggled to make the start of the next stage, but he just, like you said, calmly went about his business, got it all sorted, headed to the top of stage three, and no drama. Yeah. Sort of all. He, like, yeah, he just, he calmly said, I think there was a, a senior or a member of team staff at the bottom, he just said to them, let them know I'm coming in, mm. Mac and Shane, mm. then just ran off with the bike, and it was... It was one of those things that really opened my eyes because I've seen people riding really high in the, in the standings before, have a mechanical and go to bits and start asking other people for help and start mm. calling people over and like, mm. it all gets quite dramatic quite quickly. But Charlie just really, really quickly analysed the issue, what he needed to do and just got on with his race and stuck it on the podium. So yeah, I and think then, so. then in the pits did a stoppy and injured his wrist. Which that's one of those ones that, like, <laughs> that's one of those ones If you're that, listening, Charlie, what are you doing? I, do you know what? That could have been anything. Do you know what I mean? That, yeah, that could, could have been, been slipping in the shower that, the morning after the race. It could have been, like, anything. It's just one of those silly little things yeah, that happened. It's I, just a shame it happened to him when he was on that kind of form. Yeah. I think Specialised will let him off it considering he got a podium the same day. But um, I think that was probably Specialised' best start to an EWS season, wasn't it? Uh, Kevin McHale was going well so we, we saw Kevin really come into things in the next two races where it got mm. maybe a bit steeper and a bit more tech but he was sixth in this race Charlie on the podium Specialized have often struggled to just click with that kind of mm. like front end pacing enduro and it felt like um, it felt like everything was working for them at that one they're still obviously waiting for Sophia to come back from injury as well so yeah no it seems uh, you know a completely fresh team there and and great to see them be so up to speed first race out and uh, like you say big kev came into his own in the next kind of race block of racing and um yeah i think they've got, they've got to be happy with that right before we start talking about that next block of racing let's start talking about um our holiday love affair with the santa cruz megatar um i think we've both been accused of getting the uh, the middle age e-bike bug and riding our e-bikes a lot here in Scotland because it makes it very, very easy to do three or four really good trails in the space of an hour. All the stuff people always say about e-bikes. We've talked a lot about how much we love e-bikes. But um, I arrived... I was down down in Tweed Valley Bikes a couple of days before we travelled and I literally... I looked at my Megatar that had been built and saw that it was good and then it went in the van and it went to Italy and then the first time I rode it was on the morning of that um, first course preview and just what a bike that is yeah I 100% agree I, I, truthfully like I hadn't ridden a, a normal bike for a long time probably 
probably about 18 months, which, mm. is, which is shocking. And I know a lot of people will be going, <gasps> like, can't believe that. But I've not actually had one. Um, you know, we're not immune to the, the same kind of shortages of bikes and parts that everybody else is yeah. facing at the moment. And uh, so last year I didn't have one and, you know, got a, got a nice new shiny Santa Cruz Mega Tower for, for this year. Uh, for being on courses, course preview, that sort of thing. And, man, you forget how much fun, an, uh, you know, you forget much how, how much fun a, a kind of modern enduro bike can be. It, Just, felt, like, it felt like a BMX, really, compared yeah. to having ridden the weight of an e-bike for so long, to be able to just move a bike around as much as that, mm. and to just, mine had, I've said I've been on that bike for a couple of years now, but, uh, my my new one had a bigger Fox uh, 38 fork and it had, we've got a special Vittoria tyre on the front of it. It's a new Bergtech uh, set of components for the cockpit that I hadn't used before. And uh, crucially, a big Fox air can as well um, in the form of there, is it D, uh, Float DHX2? Float X2 it's called, I think. Mm. Um, and the thing just like, it just felt alive. Like it felt like, you could push it into stuff and it would just come out the other side of it with more speed. It was just a joy to be on. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it'd been a while for me and jumping on that from riding the, the Heckler last year and the Bullet this year was was amazing. Absolutely loved it. Could put it exactly where I want it. A bit stronger than I was when I raced as well. So that's Have you put weight on, have you? Yeah, I've actually, I've actually lost weight since it's been... <laughs> I don't know how, but... It, I've managed to lose two and a half kilos being in Italy, eating a diet of pizza and saturated fat. How have fat. you managed to Not lose sure two that. and a half kilos whenever we've eaten five kilos of mozzarella a day? Exactly. Don't know, mate. Right. I, mean, I, I think muscle is more fat, so I've, I've lost it. doesn't muscle. weigh more than cheese. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> let's move on to the Vittoria EWS Le Toil, uh, third race of the year. Um, Le Toil, famously steep, and kind of, I always think, it's kind of a bit of an upside-down mountain in the the top of it is flatter than the bottom slopes, which go really, really steep, really, really quickly. Um, it's like an upside-down Nike tick. It is, yeah, if you think about it like that. Um, it's We actually had to shorten some stages, though, didn't we, because mm. of unprecedented snowfall at the top of it? Yeah, like I arrived a few days earlier than you and uh, almost got frostbite on the top lift, <laughs> uh, trying to trying to see the situation with like some the of the... garden shed, hacksaw on your fingers and yeah, toes Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's 25 degrees at the bottom I'll like wear a nice short sleeve jersey and then you forget that the two lifts combines about probably 1500 metres and got to the top and I was shivering away but yeah, they had a lot of snow up top and by the by the time the race actually kind of was starting to run most of the trails up there I'd say bar a few sections were free of snow but what you then have to deal with is the snow higher up melting down to those sections so we had a lot of kind of even even the lower section of the mountain, we had a lot of uh, a lot of water on trails, a lot of melt water just appearing out of nowhere and being on the trail for 10, 20 meters and then disappearing off again. So um, we didn't quite have the the 13, 14 minute stages that we've had in Latwil in the past, but you know the course we had was it was yeah it was it was classic Latwil, steep, technical, fast. I um, actually I'm gonna go out here and say as um, with my amateur mountain biker hat on and as probably someone obviously a lot closer to the EWS 100 sort of guys I actually preferred this version of the twill because 
you didn't arrive into that steep stuff at the bottom absolutely ruined mm. from going so fast up top for so long. Now mm-hmm. you, I like riding steep stuff, but I also like riding steep stuff when I'm fresh enough to do it. So I actually, I actually, the twill in my head was bookmarked as peril, <laughs> and like I actually yeah. really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was it was different. I remember I raced there in twenty eighteen, and I do remember getting to the hardest bit and being absolutely flogged, and that. That's difficult. I mean, there's not many there's not many riders out there that can ride how how technical and steep that bottom section is. There's not many riders out there that can recover whilst effectively riding that at race pace. Mm-hmm. Um, this year was quite different. Like you say, the it was really just the the bottom kind of two thirds of the mountain that w- was used. Riders were hitting that technical stuff a lot fresher, um, and it. Yeah, I mean, it, it provided some, some really cl- close racing again. And I felt then, because they were fresher, because they weren't as they weren't doing the, the top section, which, let's not forget, there's a little bit of altitude. Yeah. You know, you've got to factor that in as well. If it's physical and at altitude, it, it soon blows your doors off. So Don't worry about that. I will cling to any excuse yeah. necessary. I rolled that out a few times, yeah. yeah. But um, I think it changed the intensity of the race that like we were seeing riders arriving at the bottom section, the, the notoriously steep and technical part, and and riding faster. Um, so in itself, you know, the speed made it as challenging as it was maybe physically in other years. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a big result in again then for uh, Melanie Pujan taking the pro women's win uh, ahead of. Hattie Harnden advancing her way up the rankings, mm-hmm. second place at the first race in the twill. She really did the business in the, the back half of that race. She really came on strong towards the end where we do think that mm-hmm. her just vast reserves of fitness from being a multi-discipline rider mm-hmm. really just bring her on strong at we, the end of the race. We've seen that from her pretty much every round as she gets stronger as the race goes on and other riders tend to kind of dwindle a little bit and drop off and um, yeah, I mean to see her what third in uh Val Fassa race two and in second it was the Jaws music was on for the yeah, people at the front, was, wasn't it? Was. it? Um Andrian and Doe, great to see ALN up in third in that mm. race as well. Um definitely a firm favourite with the fans and someone that she's had her injury niggles. She went fourth, fifth, sixth and third uh on the Queen stage to get that position. Really accomplished set of results and great to see her back in amongst things uh, towards the end of that race as well. In the pro men's race, guess who was out front? Richie Rude won it from Jack Moyer by just 1.8 seconds. Absolutely, you could fit a cigarette paper between the two of them. Adrian Day, uh, great to see Adrian back in the third place on the box as well. Good to see him back up there. Yeah, brilliant. Um, you know, Adrian, I think we've spoken about it on here before, but um, had a, a rough time a uh, couple of years ago with injuries and his el- getting his elbow sorted you know, mm. with the bone not healing and stuff but I mean technically has to be one of the most gifted racers in the DBS field and uh, yeah the, the tracks on the tool suiting his suiting his technical ability and, and yeah great to see him on the box in third and, and you know being strong he's quietly one of my favourite racers to watch Adrian because he's always got something crazy in him he's always got like a big mad dog pull up somewhere that no one else is doing that he'll just nail uh jesse melamed in fourth uh vid persak actually up in fifth uh, someone we talked about as huge reserves of talent came to fame obviously at pets and jam 
uh, local to that place uh, for our Bay Fox Enduro team. Vid, it seems to be clicking. Uh, Dimitri Tordo, sixth place uh, for the party boy. Casper um, Woolley, yet he won up pro team in seventh, looking really good. Martin Mays came across the line in ninth, um, which I think I know firsthand how little sleep that man's had recently and... That's a that's a good result, isn't it? Yeah, well, he was he was actually sitting in third. He was right in contention going into the last stage, and unfortunately, um, had a pretty big crash. And his last stage result was pretty far down the the order. He lost a lot of time. Um, I think we would have seen him on the box uh, had had he not unf- had that unfortunate accident. But um, he then subsequently sat out race two. Um, he he kind of rattled his rattled his head a little bit. But um, yeah, I think. Uh, I guess I guess a strange one that I think when when he missed the first two rounds instantly we almost put him out of championship contention. Mm. Um, race race three he was right there and it'll be interesting to see how he performs when he comes back. Obviously, you'd say the title is 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 firmly between Jack and Richie, but you know Martin's kind of one of these guys who'll be going for race wins and. Could be a bit of an upset. He could he could start getting between them and results. And, and I don't really feel like we've seen at the height of their powers Richie versus Martin yet. Do you know I mean mm-hmm. one of them's always been away or injured or on the comeback hunt or Sam's doing his thing with the title? And I really, it's one of the big rivalries that I think we're yet to see the, the sort of the true face off. And if Jack Moyer happens to be in the mix, taking points off the two of them as well, that would be even better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then. In the uh, the second race, I'm gonna say one of again one of those results we'll probably go back to reference for a long time. Hattie Harndon taking her debut win at the Victoria EWS Le Twil. Uh That just feels like a big moment, big big moment for uh, pro women's enduro racing. Yeah, I mean jokingly, I said I think at, at Val de Fassa, if she keeps the level of progression up, she'll win one in the Twil. and I. You know, I said with a pinch of salt. I didn't genuinely think she was going to win one in the tour, <laughs> um, but she's she's proved she's proved me wrong, but uh, or proved me right, whatever way you want to look at it. But um, I felt this year for Hattie was a big a big learning curve because I think we, like you said earlier, we there's no question in her fitness mm-hmm. and her physical um, kind of strengths and and how strong she is on the bike. I think what we probably questioned was. Did she have coming from a more cross country cross background? Did she have the technical ability to kind of keep up with the likes of Isabeau, Melanie Pujan, ALN, Morgan Sharp? And well, yes, yes, she does. <laughs> I mean, Latoul's technical, Latoul's fast, and once again, she came in her own second half of the race. Yeah, and uh, she won the last stage to take yeah. a win, didn't she? And you know, shout out to ALN. She was she was right in the hunt. Won the pro stage. Um. Did was right in the hunt all day long. I think I think was was it one stage three by about seven seconds and had a good lead going at the final stage and just had horrible shades of do you remember Josh Carlson in Whistler? Whenever it was there to be won and he just like it just broke down on him late in the race and ALN partially dislocated her ankle in the rock garden during the pro stage. Uh, actually to the point where she heard it pop, which is generally bad, bad news obviously. Um and there was all the conversation we were having in the production office was whether or not she was going to take the start the next day, what we needed to prepare to do. You know, if she didn't, mm-hmm. could we get an interview with her? 
And no, she was starting, and then she started to do really, really well. Mm-hmm. And she actually said that the thing that she was most concerned about there was a bit of a hike up to the start of was it the third stage, mm-hmm. and she said that was the thing she was worried about all day. Two, stage so, two, yeah. because that would require putting weight on her ankle, whereas mm-hmm. she could ride no problem. And then just huge crash on the last stage, um, and the worst thing that can happen in in enduro crash wise is you crash at the start of a stage and damage the bike mechanically, which means that you're left limping. And she still was still getting pretty loose on down the bottom of that stage with only a back break. Yeah, I'm not surprised. You know, Steve, it is. Um, I skidded my way down all of that stage and a back break doesn't help you much. No. Um, no, it was, it was, you know, we, we can't take away how, how great it was to see Hattie win, but obviously it was, for ALN, it was for such a gutsy performance, you know, the, the speed she showed on day one and throughout the day, even with a... An injured ankle. It was. Uh, it was a real shame to see it end like that. But um, as far as I'm aware, she got away with it. I think the the, the main damage was to the bike, not the, not the rider. So, um, she can take confidence in knowing that she's got the pace to win one of these things. And um, I hope that she'll go away. Mid season break. Um, get herself right. Make sure the ankle's all good and come back swinging for the the final four rounds. Yeah, Hattie followed home by Melanie Pujan, Isabel Corderier in third, and Noga Karem actually up there in fourth as well, ahead of Morgan Shaw and Ella Connolly. So Noga going well as well. GT will take good hope from that. Finally, then, round four of the Pro Men's Championship, uh, and it went to Jack Moyer. Uh, Jack Moyer, <laughs> Richie Rude, this time 13 seconds between them. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that was largely down to. I think it was it was very very close again, wasn't it? But Richie just had some issues on stage three, was it? He had a couple of crashes yeah. and just uh, lost the bike a bit and just lost a load of time. Couldn't make it back up again. Yeah, it was almost like a a copy of of what we'd seen a couple of weeks before in Valdefasa. Richie win, win race one, gets out the blocks fast in race two. You know, Jack just slowly ebbs away, and then like penultimate stage or or last stage, just the rolls switch, and yeah. we see Jack take it by a by a kind of decent margin with, with Richie's problems but um, deceptive that margin 13 seconds yeah. I know a, a race wins a race win but I think the story of that race was again very very close between the two of them um, Jack also for what it's worth doing that gap right at the bottom of the last stage from the low line mm. which was pretty as you would say formidable from yeah. the uh, <laughs> deep into the pretty, race yeah pretty how you can especially uh, at that point I mean you, you forget that at that point you know they've they've done not only probably seven and three quarter minutes or whatever of racing before he does the gap, but four stages and another race the week before. So it's like the the fatigue would be uh, would be real at that point. And yeah, to, to get to that point, such a technical, precise feature and just pull up and, you know, when you're in the race lead under pressure, I mean, what a boy. What a crash that would have been. That would still be going on today, that crash, if it had happened. Right, anyway... Third place, we need to talk about this. Zach Johansson for his new old team, Ibis Enduro team. And guess what? We had him on the pod. We had him on the podcast. Great friend of the podcast, Zach Johansson. Um, You're welcome, Zach. Do you think that made the difference to be on the podcast with us? Feels unlikely. I mean, it would definitely have got things rolling. Yeah, it would have got them thinking, won't it? But yeah, Zach, I mean, he's been at it. Zach's been at it a good few years and he's slowly just chipped away, you know, top tens, top fives, and to actually land on the box amazing to see I mean you know seeing how 
how happy and how emotional he was at the finish and his team and you know that's being there and witnessing that it, it reminds you why we love racing so much and the kind of stories and the the I don't know just the it's the human element isn't it, it is it, it is he's poured so much into his racing for so long it is and it was a I mean it was a a really solid performance from Zach in race two I think you know he got third on the pro stage and and because of that was then seeded third for the following day and he just rose to the occasion he just it was almost like the next day he was like you know I'm one of these top three guys and I believe his, what his stage results were three three three, three yeah he was all day two I think him and Richie amazingly tied to the hundredth Jesus you're right again on the last three, three, stage three, 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 two. look at that it's almost like I know what I'm talking about mate. it's a bit like the motion picture film Rain Man um, so yeah Zach, great to see. Um, head back, if you fancy listening to our interview with Zach, it was in episode 18 of the podcast. Um, great to see. He's actually, I'm going to say he's he's going to be in amongst it for the rest of the year because he's taken that form. And did you see at the weekend there, he's actually, uh, he's retained the Swedish national title as well. Mm. So it's obviously, it wasn't just a one race, one and done. Um, mm. Zach going very, very well. Look, there are, I did put a shout out um for some questions on the instagram computer but i made the mistake of putting it on my instagram and not the work instagram which means <laughs> that we've just basically got a torrent of abuse from people who know the two of us um so let's revisit that let's do maybe the next podcast yeah. we're running quite long at the minute so anything that you'd like to know in a bit more detail or you'd like us to expound on or just I don't know, have a chat about. Tell us what you want to know. Tell us what you want to know about the first four races of the year and we will do our utmost to uh, address them as soon as possible. Is there a horse outside your house? Sounds that way, doesn't it? Yep, there's a horse. It's either a horse or a guy with a load of coconuts. Right, listen, Rory, thank you. It's the riot police. It's the riot Game, police. Games, games week's over, they're not accepting it. <laughs> Rory, thank you very much for your time as ever. Should we go and get a coffee and something to eat? Sounds like a great plan. Right, until next week then, everyone. Thanks very much. Bye. See you later.